right, so if you have been following me for a little bit, you probably already know that I've been covering the Depth v. Herd saga for a minute. Just a few weeks ago, I uploaded part three of a three-part series on the case, so I just kind of thought that I was mostly done talking about it. I still feel that way. I feel like I'm mostly done. I thought that I would maybe do like one more video or something, just going over some like random other thoughts that I had, just expand on a few points, address some stuff that other people commented on, especially like some of the funnier comments that I got from Johnny Depp stands. I thought that could be fun, so that was just gonna be a kind of like casual video, much like this one is. And so I thought like one or two other videos and then I'm done talking about it, or at least I'm done like making content about it. I'll probably always talk about it to some degree. But unless something really huge happens, I don't need to to make any other sort of video or anything on it. I've really said everything that I think I needed to say, and I'm ready to just move on to something else. Certain sections of the internet, though, are not quite as ready to move on. At some point after I uploaded the first part of my three-part series, a whole bunch of transcripts from the case went online, people like paid for them from the court and they're like the actual transcripts, not just like stuff that, you know, someone like Nick Wallace or someone else who was following the trial typed up. This is like official court documents and they include the sidebars. So the stuff that the audience of the trial didn't even really get to hear. And so they started to get more circulation online kind of while I was finishing up my videos. And I was like, I, I don't have time to go through all these transcripts right now. And I think I have enough information to put out like a reasonably informed video. So I'm just not gonna touch that for right now. And then a couple days ago, there were some more unsealed documents that I guess some Johnny Depp supporters paid for and now they're online. So I've had a lot of people reaching out asking me to do other videos talking about the sidebars and the unsealed documents and uh, adding some parts of them to my website on the timeline thing that I made for this case. And I'm gonna be honest, I don't want to nor do I think that I really need to. So I wanna make it really clear what the point of my overall coverage on this case has always been. So as I talked about it in part one, there was a time where I didn't really believe Amber Heard. I kinda did, but I did fall into some of the like mutual abuse rhetoric that was being spread online a lot and I wrote some just kind of gross Instagram stories about the case that no one ever really saw because I didn't have like any followers on my Instagram at that time other than just you know friends and family and I still don't have a lot of followers on Instagram or really anywhere. I had a very small platform and I still have a very small platform but I knew that I made those Instagram stories. And as the trial 
continued on, I just started to find the social media campaign against Amber to be so littered with like misogyny and victim blaming rhetoric and misinformation and just really, really bad talking points that I started to just feel really bad about what I said. And I realized that I didn't really want to be contributing to something like that. And I also didn't have enough information on the case to really have an opinion on it. But when I tried to look into the case more, I just couldn't find any good resources on it whatsoever. I found like lots and lots of pro Johnny Depp circles that had their own version of events that never seemed to really be very accurate because it was filled with a lot of like body language analysis and speculative reasoning and just explanations for things that I thought sounded really implausible. So I didn't really trust those circles. But then when I went to like more kind of mainstream outlets that were covering the case, they only really covered it from like a social phenomenon kind of angle, or they just hit the really, really broad talking points. Like Amber Heard said this in a Washington Post article. Now she's being sued for this. Like the most basic information, and I didn't see anyone getting into the actual allegations and the actual evidence in any sort of detailed way that seemed in any way reliable. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll just have to look into this myself. So I started to do like podcast episodes about it. At first, really not knowing a whole lot about the case, I took it like really step by step because I wanted to organize everything into a timeline. So I started just looking at the pasts of Amber Heard and Johnny Depp to see if there was any sort of like patterns of behavior that I could suss out before I actually started looking into their relationship. So I did a podcast episode about that. And then I, the next episode that I did right before that one, I did an entire an entire page on my blog that was just the timeline that just went over like the major allegations, the evidence for and against each side. And I just wanted to compile everything into like one thing. And then I did a five hour episode going over everything in that timeline. And the thing was, <laughs> while I came into that, not really having any sort of allegiance to either side and assuming that I was going to come away with some sort of opinion that was more in line with the mutual abuse angle, when I actually laid everything out into a timeline and looked at everything in its proper context, I was like, Amber Heard is a victim. There's really no way around it. And after I put those two episodes out, then there were some unsealed documents released that I looked into further and they just confirmed what I already thought, which was that Amber Heard is a victim. And then after that, there was the appeal brief that went public. And then there were the therapy notes that also went public, the therapy notes that Amber's team submitted as evidence, but that the court decided was hearsay, so they couldn't be actually used as evidence. And so there was just a lot of stuff piling up where it's like more and more it definitely seems like Amber Heard is a victim of domestic violence and the Fairfax County Court really fucked her in a way that was just completely unjustified and ridiculous. So I decided since so much information had come out since the Fairfax trial, I would just do like a little three-part video series going over 
all the evidence, again, with the unsealed documents taken into account. And then also, I wanted to really explore how this whole, like, social media phenomenon even happened and go through, like, the TMZ articles that were coming out pretty immediately after Amber filed for a restraining order and then go over the complicity or the, um, the coordination with YouTubers and then how it developed into this huge, like, thing that everyone was live streaming and talking about in the spring of 2022. Like, there was a whole kind of series of events that I thought was pretty fascinating and troubling that I thought was worth exploring. But I openly admitted in that first video that all of this is kind of an invasion of privacy. Like, I am reading Amber Heard's therapy notes in front of a camera and in front of a microphone. Like, that is kind of fucked. And so then in part three, I opened that one up by saying, this is the final video unless Amber Heard wants to call me. And I didn't say that because I think that Amber Heard is going to call me or that I really even want her to. Genuinely, I don't want her to know who I am. I don't want her to have to be aware of content about this case because I think that the case has already consumed her life enough. She doesn't need to know any of it. But the reason that I said that is because I can't keep talking about this without Amber Heard's involvement. It just isn't really right to me. I don't want to feel like I'm telling her story for her, and I don't want to keep publicizing things that she never really wanted publicized. The issue is, though, there was so much misinformation about this case that went completely uninterrogated for years, since 2016 up until 2022, and that misinformation allowed Amber Heard to be abused by the public on a massive scale. So even though this all is an invasion of privacy, it's still worth addressing some of the things that people are saying about her and then providing the evidence that disproves those things, just for the sake of helping her put out this fire because it's not really fair that any of this happened to her. The main issue is Johnny Depp's story, when you really look at it, is a conspiracy theory, meaning that Johnny's most fervent supporters are conspiracy theorists. And before I ever started looking into Depp v. Heard, I was pretty involved in the Free Britney movement where there were a lot of conspiracy theorists, and so I've become pretty acquainted with the tactics of conspiracy theorists, and it's kind of challenging when stuff like this comes out, these unsealed documents, because one of the things that conspiracy theorists will do is they will just continuously throw information at you, and that's really effective for one thing because it makes it look like they have all this evidence on their side, even though if you actually look at the individual pieces of evidence, none of it really holds up to scrutiny. A lot of it is contradictory to itself. A lot of it just seems really implausible. A lot of it is just purely based on speculation. Like, it's not good evidence, but there is a lot of it which makes it seem like the case for their side is overwhelming, even though it's really not. So that's already compelling to a lot of people who aren't super educated on the tactics of misinformation and logical fallacies. And then in addition to that, when someone like me tries to combat the misinformation or make a case in favor of the opposing side, 
there is just no possible way for me to address every single theory or every piece of so-called evidence. I can't follow every single thread, so I have to be more selective about what theories I even acknowledge and what I don't. But that sets me up for people who are predisposed to disagree with me to look at what I'm saying and be like, oh, well, you didn't talk about this, this, and this. And that means either that I didn't do my research and I don't know what I'm talking about, or that I am purposefully hiding information to hide the truth or whatever. And it's really just a lose-lose, because I'm either going over every single piece of information that has ever been brought up in this case, which will just violate Amber Heard's privacy more and be a waste of my time, or I choose to ignore some of the more fringe theories or the evidence that is really just ridiculous and stupid and doesn't deserve to be acknowledged, and then I'm hiding things. I have a secret agenda in favor of a woman that last April I said was going to hell. So in light of these unsealed documents, what I really want to say is that I'm not going to cover it. I don't even want to read it. But the issue is, I know that if I say that, Johnny Depp supporters who just want to discredit anything that I say about this case are just going to respond with, oh, well, that's convenient. New information comes out and suddenly you don't want to talk about it anymore. And like, yeah, I shouldn't have to talk about it anymore. Number one, because we have enough information. I have made hours upon hours of content covering this case. The first video of that series, Amber Heard is an unambiguous victim, is itself like a little under three hours, just going through the timeline of events that prove that Amber Heard is a victim of domestic violence at the hands of Johnny Depp. And truth be told, I didn't need three hours to make that argument. I really could boil it down in a couple minutes. The reason that it's the length that it is is just because I know that if I say that, that Amber Heard is a victim, I'm gonna have to go through a whole bunch of information and evidence and provide the receipts to combat all of the misinformation that came before that video. But the whole case really just boils down to a few major points. Like the fact that Johnny Depp had an unbelievable amount of power over Amber. He's older, wealthier, he has more success in their shared industry, he is more famous than her. During their marriage, he owned like 15 houses while she owned none. He had an entire staff that worked for him, including bodyguards that specifically worked to protect him, not protect her. Johnny didn't like Amber's therapist, so he arranged for her to only go to doctors paid for and approved by him. And that's not even speculation. That is what Johnny Depp said. During their marriage, he was emailing producers of films she was working on to try to control the amount of nudity she could do. After they got a divorce, he sent texts trying to get her fired from films that she was working on. There is so much record of her reporting the abuse she was facing to friends and family, to members of Johnny's staff, to her own therapist as early as 2012 when she started alleging physical abuse. There were allegations brought by Johnny's own business managers saying that he pays his own employees hush money, specifically hush money, to get them to be quiet about his abuse of Amber. Even if you just listen to 
Johnny's testimony in full and you set aside all of the flowery language and the long-winded answers that don't really go anywhere relevant, if you just look at the allegations he made, at the abuse that he alleges Amber Heard inflicted onto him, he only really makes broad statements about, like, sometimes she would throw things at me, sometimes she would put a cigarette out on my face, which, number one, Amber admitted to throwing things at him, and she said that she did it in self-defense, so sometimes she threw things at me, doesn't really contradict Amber's account of events. And then two, sometimes she would put a cigarette out on Johnny's face. Yeah, that would be a problem, except for the fact that Amber Heard doesn't smoke. There's no evidence that she smokes. A lot of people around her have said, no, she does not smoke. Johnny Depp does smoke. And we have plenty of evidence that as a method of self-harm, Johnny Depp would frequently put cigarettes out on his own face. So just probability-wise, if someone's putting cigarettes out on Johnny's face, probably him. And okay, sometimes Amber did this, sometimes Amber did that, those were bad things to do. But those are really the only allegations that Johnny makes other than his general complaint that she would nag him all the time and specifically be down on him about his use of drugs and alcohol, which again, Amber has addressed and said, yeah, I was pretty down on him for that because he was a drug addict who, when he was doing drugs, was more abusive to me. So I don't have any problem with her being a nag about that. That doesn't really read to me as an act of abuse. But then the only specific allegations that Johnny makes about specific incidents are all just responses to allegations that Amber already made. None of his allegations exist independently of Amber's allegations against him. He hasn't come up with any sort of singular act of abuse that Amber has inflicted onto him that doesn't correspond to a story that he's already defending himself from. So that's already kind of suspicious. And then when you actually look at the court case and the details of his evidence, number one, Johnny's metadata was shown many times over to have been manipulated, especially in the audio recordings that seemed to have been edited before they were even submitted to the court. And then number two, he frequently made claims about Amber's team doctoring evidence, including evidence that was submitted by his team. Then number three, between the two cases in the US and the UK, Johnny was frequently contradicting his own testimony, and not in like minor ways that could just be chalked up to him misremembering or misstating something. There were significant contradictions, like whether or not he even remembers specific incidents or if he was blacked out for the entire event. And beyond all that, there's just fucking photos of Amber's injuries and medical records saying that she did seek treatment for those injuries. And what reason would she have to make all this up? She took a fraction of the amount of money that she was entitled to in the state of California when they divorced. She also signed an NDA saying that she wasn't going to talk about the relationship ever again. And for what? So that two years later she could write a Washington Post article where she doesn't even direct Directly refer to herself as a victim of abuse? 
Those are really the basics of all you need to consider. Everything else about this case is just fucking extra. And I'm happy to engage with some of that extra stuff if it helps people understand some of these things that removed from context would kind of complicate an otherwise pretty simple story. Because there's a lot of other small pieces of information that can be pretty compelling to make you believe that Amber Heard is an abuser or Amber Heard is a contributor to mutual abuse if you don't have the proper context. But none of that additional information, once put into its proper context, really negates the fact that those are the basic facts and they are enough to say that Amber Heard is a victim. So that's the main reason that I don't really feel like I need to address these unsealed documents. And then in addition to that, the documents that these Johnny Depp fans keep paying to be released don't benefit Johnny Depp whatsoever. I just don't even know what narrative I'm supposed to be combating here when all of the information they've released is pretty damning to him. And the thing is, I do want to be proactive in preventing any sort of misinformation that can be spread from these leaks because I know that no matter how bad these documents actually make Johnny Depp look, his supporters will find a way to spin them and make it look like Amber Heard is the villain. That is something they are always going to do. And there are going to be times where that is a battle really worth fighting. But I just don't think this is one of those battles. But because I know that this latest batch of documents has stoked a lot of conversation, I'm going to address some of it. And to be clear, I am perfectly fine with people sending me other pieces of information that they think maybe should be covered or things that they think that I might just be interested in. But I just want to remind people, especially people that support Amber Heard, that Amber Heard didn't want all of this to become public. And there definitely is a line with what we should be engaging with on a public platform. Especially when, like I have been saying, we have enough information and we need to get past this idea that the quantity of evidence is just as important as the quality of it. We don't really need to just be collecting any new point of data because ultimately the stuff that's in these unsealed documents isn't going to be the make or break for anyone who is just now looking into the case. Amber Heard doesn't need this information to be publicized to support her side, especially because a vast majority of this new evidence just really doesn't matter in relation to the bigger picture. So some of it is literally just like correspondence related to the op-ed, like where they were going to pitch it, what they were going to say, like stuff they were going to take out to prevent Johnny Depp from suing her. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Like, I'd like to see the world where Amber Heard submitted this to Teen Vogue instead of Washington Post, because I feel like, especially with something else that's mentioned in some of these other documents, I wonder if Teen Vogue would have handled it better than the Washington Post, considering they have an audience of young women where I would expect them to be a little bit more sensitive toward particular things and particular choices that were made by the publication in this instance. And then I believe this is the first time that the entirety of Jennifer Howell's testimony was released. 
I really don't care about that whatsoever. There's a reason that her testimony was never heard by the jury, because while I disagree with the court's very strict definition of hearsay, I think it absolutely should have been taken into account that Amber Heard had told so many people prior to her filing for divorce and prior to her writing this op-ed that Johnny had been abusing her. I think that's completely relevant to her side and is the kind of exception to the hearsay rule that many courts have made in the past, especially when Johnny's team was able to ask those people if Amber had ever told them about the abuse prior to the divorce, and any time those people said no, that still was used as evidence against Amber, but any time that they said yes, that's hearsay. So that was a completely, like, inconsistent application to the rule, and that's really stupid to me, but Jennifer Howell's testimony is definitely, like, hearsay. It's hearsay on hearsay. Because she's not even alleging what Amber Heard told her. She's alleging what Amber Heard apparently told Whitney, and then Whitney apparently told Jennifer. And Whitney has also even stated that she didn't fucking say that shit. So yeah, Jennifer Howell's testimony, completely fucking useless. It's not worth anybody's time to read it. Then there's a bunch of stuff we already pretty much know about because it was either mentioned in the US or the UK trial. We just didn't see the original documents, like Amber Heard's diary entry, which is transcribed in documents in the UK, but we didn't actually see, like, Amber Heard's handwriting. Now we have. There it is. And then there's also the notes from the doctor who worked on Johnny Depp's finger, which, again, was mentioned in the trials. I think both of them. It's just now that we can actually see, like, the full thing of notes. So, again, not really anything worth paying attention to. It's information we already had. But then going off of that, information that we did kind of have, because Amber herself mentioned it on the stand, but wasn't actually able to be used as evidence, was records from Amber's ENT specialist. So this is, to me, like, the only really significant piece of evidence that comes from this latest batch, because during Amber's cross-examination, Camille tried to make it seem like Amber's team never submitted the documents from this ENT specialist that Amber claimed to go to to prove that she did in fact break her nose, and here it is. Here is the, like, x-ray of Amber's face with the fractures outlined. So for everyone saying that Amber was lying about breaking her nose, or that she never sought medical treatment for the injuries she described, that's just wrong. So there's that. And then the other thing that came from this latest batch, and the thing that I'm seeing people talk about the most is from the documents related to Dr. Hughes' testimony. So Dr. Hughes was the forensic psychologist that Amber's team hired, who testified that Amber does, in fact, have PTSD. And she also explained the dynamics of abuse and how those dynamics kind of came to play in this specific relationship based on what Amber told her and based on what other people that she interviewed for this case told her. So there's three different PDFs here in relation to Dr. Hughes. There's uh, the intake form that she had Amber fill out, or that I think it was from like an interview. So I believe that it's Dr. Hughes' handwriting on it, but 
their questions that she was asking Amber. And then the PDF for the PTSD scale that she evaluated Amber with and decided that she did in fact have PTSD. And then there's the notes from the interviews that Dr. Hughes conducted. Dr. Hughes obviously interviewed Amber, and then in addition to that, she also interviewed her mother Paige, her sister Whitney, and her two therapists that she had during the time of the relationship, Dr. Jacobs and Dr. Cowan. All of them thought that Amber was being abused. Now for Paige and Whitney, that's not really surprising. Whitney even testified as a witness for Amber in the trial. And for Dr. Jacobs, it's also not surprising, having already gone through her notes from sessions with Amber around that time. She was repeatedly telling Amber that she was being abused, even when Amber didn't want to accept that. The only thing that I find super noteworthy from these interviews is the thing said by Dr. Cowan, considering Dr. Cowan was the therapist hired by Johnny Depp. Amber even said in her own interview with Dr. Hughes that the information she was giving Dr. Cowan at the time was pretty sugar-coated since so much of the stuff that she would say to any of the doctors hired by Johnny would just get relayed back to him. So she was never completely 100% transparent with Dr. Cowan about what she was facing. And still, Dr. Cowan saw her as an abuse victim. Even going as far to say that he was worried for her physical safety. But of course, the bulk of these documents are mostly just concerning Dr. Hughes' interview with Amber. And I have kind of mixed feelings about how much of that interview is being publicized currently, especially in relation to the sexual abuse allegations, which we know that Amber never wanted to talk about publicly. As I've already mentioned in a previous video, Amber Heard didn't write that line that the Washington Post made their headline about, I spoke up against sexual violence. She didn't write that. That's not even in debate. Johnny's lawyers know she didn't write it. They just were able to get her held responsible for it because they said she republished the title when she tweeted a link to the article. And that's extra fucked because it appears that the Washington Post didn't even get Amber's permission to make that the headline. In the interview when she was talking about the op-ed, she apparently told Dr. Hughes they had no ability to know about sexual violence that was private and super confidential. But because Johnny's team was suing her on that line about sexual violence, even though in the UK, when she did testify about sexual abuse in the relationship and she testified under seal, because these allegations were now a part of the Fairfax trial based on the fucking title that Amber didn't write, Johnny's team started to argue that Amber's sexual assault testimony should be made public. It should be unsealed in the UK court. So Amber was literally forced to repeat the same allegations that she made in the UK court about sexual violence to defend herself from a line that the Washington Post wrote in her name. And even when she tried to get just that one part of her testimony away from the cameras and not live streamed like the rest of the trial, she was denied. The only reason Amber Heard had to tell the story of her alleged rape on that stand 
is because she was forced into it. So it's always been like a really tricky thing to navigate in terms of how I talk about the sexual abuse in that relationship because I know Amber didn't want to talk about it. At the same time though, the allegations are already out there. So for me, in the first video that I did, I pretty much played her entire testimony about that incident, the incident that she was raped in Australia in full. And I did that because I just think that people need to see it from her instead of just hearing it recounted by other people who are not Amber Heard. And I also did it because I think people really need to put all of the shit she got for her testimony into context of what she actually said and how she was actually physically reacting on that stand. It is like the saddest moment in the entire trial because you can tell she doesn't want to fucking talk about it and they're making her do it anyway. And I just, I think people do need to see that to some degree to really think about what all these fucking content creators who were mocking her were doing. That is what they were talking about. That is the abuse that people on the internet found so fucking entertaining. In addition to that, I also talked about some of the other things that she apparently told Bonnie Jacobs in her therapy sessions, starting in like, I think 2013 is maybe when the sexual abuse started to come into play. I don't remember exactly, but fairly early on. And I talked about that, one, because Amber did want her therapy notes brought into evidence. And so it's really hard to support her wishes in a sense by bringing those notes to people's attention to show how they do corroborate a lot of the things that Amber said on that stand, while also being aware of the fact that I am reading someone's therapy notes. And it is an invasion of privacy. It's just an invasion of privacy that to a degree, Amber kind of wanted at least just to defend herself against the things that people were saying about her. It's just a really shitty situation and I, I don't know how much should be talked about publicly and how much we should just leave completely private because it already is so public. And then the other reason that I talked about it is that I think one of the primary arguments against Amber Heard in relation to the sexual abuse, one of the things that people will use to try to paint her as a liar is the idea that she hadn't made other allegations in regards to sexual abuse other than the two things that she said on the stand. She mentioned the cavity search in Hicksville, and then she mentioned, obviously, the rape in Australia. And so I think for some people, they got the idea that those were two completely isolated incidents and that there was no precedent for that kind of behavior from Johnny Pryor, and that just wasn't true. Amber had been making very similar allegations about other incidents in her therapy sessions years before ever taking the stand. And that kind of speaks to people who think that Amber may have been kind of abused in the relationship, but that she was exaggerating what happened to her. Because when you really look at the therapy notes and this interview with Dr. Hughes as well, 
and also just some of the stuff that she had been telling her friends at the time, and you compare it to what she said on the stand, she kind of downplayed the abuse on the stand. Like, it seems like it was actually quite a bit worse than anything she claimed super publicly. So I understand why some sections of this interview are being pulled out by Amber Heard's supporters to say that, like, look, it was even worse than what we already thought. But please don't republish that stuff. Like, there are things in this interview that are more graphic than we've ever heard from Amber herself, and these were things that were said in a private interview that the notes were never intended to become public for. I get that you're trying to help, but like, for this one thing, please just stop. If Amber wants to talk about these incidents herself, we should let her do that. We cannot take it upon ourselves to publicize information that she didn't want public. And I know that the Johnny Depp supporters who already paid for these documents to be unsealed did kind of publicize it for her, but that doesn't mean we need to participate in it. Amber had every opportunity to talk about that stuff on the stand, and she didn't do it. Now, the one thing that I will talk about from these notes a bit more in depth is the stuff that Amber says about how this entire thing has affected her life. There's a lot of stuff about how this has affected her career, so she talked about not getting a whole lot of opportunities after Johnny sued her. Even after she won the UK court, apparently the people who were working on Aquaman still didn't think it was good press for the film. The producers at Aquaman apparently also thought that her fighting with Jason Momoa in the film would be a bad look, which really sucks, because it sounds like she had been doing a lot of training for the role, and... Some epic battle scene got cut. I wouldn't know, I don't watch those movies. Apparently a lot of people working on Aquaman 2 wanted her fired, including Jason Momoa. She also said that the director raised his voice at her and said I can't even post about Aquaman and made it seem like it was her fault. She said nobody could take selfies on set with her and she was told not to post anything about the movie on social media, but the rest of the cast could. Apparently by this point, Amber didn't even have a publicist, even though she had had one since she was 19. I don't know if that publicist quit because of the allegations, or if she literally just didn't have money to pay one anymore, but kind of makes sense with how shoddy her PR was in those years. She lost other jobs, like her deal with L'Oreal, and she said, they can't even use me to sell mascara because they get so many trolls. The ACLU wouldn't associate with her anymore because of the attacks they were getting. She at one point went to a friend's fashion show, and then she said everyone went crazy the next day. She was bombarded with trolls. She had to denounce me, said she did not invite me, and now she's on the long list of friends who have done that to Amber. Other friends apparently reached out and expressed doubt in her story because of the things that Johnny was saying, like Amanda Decadne, who apparently said to Amber, wait, the cops came and you were fine. Amanda, we already know, at some point had gotten into contact with Johnny's lawyer, Adam Waltman, so I'm assuming that's who told her about the cops coming to Amber's house and her telling them that she didn't want to file a report. 
And then someone else, the person who made that second call to 911 after Io called them in that night in 2016, apparently she also turned on Amber. And eventually Io and Rocky also just kind of kept their distance from her because of all the shit that they were getting. She said that she only had a tiny group of people left. Every single close friend she had lost their social media accounts. And she said she doesn't even have the ability to form new friendships with the fear of what will happen if they get targeted and attacked. She said she had to turn off comments on her Instagram. Even the guy who replaced Johnny in Fantastic Beast had to take down his Instagram. Her address got leaked. She would get hate mail. She said at one point she was literally pummeled with rocks. There was apparently some bill on revenge porn that she was going to be an advocate for because she was a victim of revenge porn. She was one of those celebrities that was targeted in the fappening. But she got kicked off of that because she couldn't be associated with that activism anymore. She said, when will this stop? Stop being in the news. When will I be able to move on? Everything is always about the case, about him. And yeah, I mean, even now that Johnny and Amber have reached a settlement and this legal case is done, there's still unsealed documents being leaked and some of those I think were good to support the fact that Amber had a lot of her evidence suppressed in the Fairfax court. It just, more stuff keeps coming and coming and coming, including things that there's no fucking way Amber Heard wanted public. And it sucks because Amber Heard supporters feel a duty to defend her, and sometimes that means publicizing things that she didn't necessarily want publicized. And Johnny Depp supporters want to continue humiliating her, so they will continue to make even more things public. And I, I don't know what to do about all of it. There's nothing that I can do, but I don't even know how to interact with this case anymore because I don't want to keep talking about it for her sake. But I don't want the only people talking about it to be people that hate her. And if that wasn't bad enough, there was something else that came out about, like, a week, week and a half ago in relation to her relationship with Elon Musk. So I guess Elon has some book coming out. It's like a biography. It's not an autobiography. It's written by, like, other people, but... It is about his life, and I think it's authorized. Like, I think he's okay with it coming out. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I'll be honest, I actively try to avoid learning more things about that man. But I guess this book is coming out, and there are some excerpts that have already been released online, including things about his relationship with Amber that is just so insanely cruel. And this is one of those things where I don't want to have to talk about this, but this is already public and it is really, really being used to make Amber look crazy for no good reason. Because it talks about how people in Elon's life apparently just really hated Amber and thought that she was super toxic. And he, I guess, has made some sort of reference to like, yeah, it was like a tumultuous relationship. I don't know specifically what he said. I saw some quotes about it before, but I don't remember because... It was just kind of nothing, so for all the people in my comments right now who keep saying, like, oh, are you going to mention the fact that Elon Musk has now accused her of abuse? Like, he didn't. He really didn't say anything. It's literally all just people on Elon's behalf, and even the claims they make 
don't really portray Amber as an abuser. They portray her as a woman with severe PTSD. Because Amber started dating Elon, like, right after her divorce. That was her next relationship after ending it with Johnny. And so, in this fucking book, it says they broke up in July 2017, but then got back together for another five tumultuous months. The end finally came after a wild trip. When they got to the hotel, Elon and Amber had another one of their flame-throwing fights. She locked herself in the room and started yelling that she was afraid she would be attacked and that Elon had taken her passport. The security guards and Kimball's wife, I guess that's his, like, brother or something, all tried to convince her that she was safe, her passport was in her bag, and she could and should leave whenever she wanted. She really is a very good actress, so she will say things that you're like, wow, maybe she's telling the truth, but she isn't, Kimball says. The way she can create her own reality reminds me of my dad. And then in parentheses, let that sink in. I guess they don't like their dad? I don't know. But it's just really ridiculous. The only specific instance they give of Amber's toxicity is of her being fucking scared. And sure, maybe her fear in that moment was completely irrational, but that's kind of how PTSD works. If she was afraid that Elon was going to attack her, might that indicate that she had been attacked in a different relationship prior? The last relationship that she was in right before meeting him? Like, it's so fucked up that this is getting used against her. And in that instance, I can't even really fault Elon for it because he didn't say it. It's other people on his behalf. But then... Some stuff came out that I think is also from this book about Amber. When she was first dating Elon, he really liked this character in Overwatch. So she dressed up as that character and then did some like role play or something. Like she took pictures in this outfit. And so when that stuff started to come out and there were some headlines about that, Elon posted a photo of her in that costume on Twitter. And... <laughs> There's just, there's no way that Amber gave him permission to post that. There's none. I don't even think they're on speaking terms. Maybe they are. Maybe she did completely consent to that photo being put out, but I doubt it. And it is clearly a pretty private photo. It's not like super revealing. It's not like she's naked or anything, but it was clearly something that was meant to be between two people in a relationship. I just can't believe how much people think that they can just publicize any information about her. Like, she is not in any way entitled to privacy just based on some of the relationships she's been in. Having said all that, while I am very, very frustrated with the amount of people who are continuing to dig for information that directly violates Amber's privacy, I am simultaneously also very frustrated with the amount of people who were very invested in covering this case like a year ago when the trial was going on, but since then haven't shown any interest in covering all of this new information that was made public after the jury verdict in June of 2022.
Because after that verdict, we got so many unsealed documents that were incredibly damning to Johnny. We got Amber's appeal brief, which outlined how fucked that trial was in the first place. We got her therapy notes, which pretty much corroborated everything that Amber said. And other than the really, like, hardcore Amber Heard Johnny Depp supporters who have been following this case for forever and will continue to follow it, no one really has been talking about that in a super prominent way. I haven't seen a single general interest content creator who covered this trial last year cover any of the developments that have come in Amber's favor since then, including even the fucking settlement. Like the thing that finally put this entire case to bed. The only person that I've seen kind of reevaluating their take on the trial is Ethan Klein, and even he isn't really, like, owning up to any of the stuff that he said about it at the time, and he also still doesn't seem to be very educated on the subject at all, but he has at least kind of talked about hearing other things that have come out and thinking that, like, maybe Johnny isn't as good a guy as everyone portrayed him last year, so there's that. It's not much, to be honest, but it is maybe just promising that he at least seems interested in exploring the story more, so would love it if he ever decided to follow up on that, but whatever. But then there are other people who I just keep thinking about where it's like, you have to address this at some point. People where I don't understand why they haven't already, like, Pokimane knows exactly what it's like to be the victim of a misogynistic hate campaign, and yet she participated in one and hasn't really said anything about it since. And granted, as I said in my previous videos, I don't think Pokimane's commentary was any worse than most people who were talking about this trial. In fact, I think it was on the better end. But still, she had a fucking tear counter on her stream. It was bad. And then there's Swoop, who I never watched any of her content myself, but I know that from like the messages and the comments and stuff that I've gotten, a lot of Amber supporters have been very disappointed in her because quite a few of them were previously fans and were really upset by the way that she chose to cover this trial. And so, Currently, she is being kind of glorified and lionized in her coverage of the Colleen Ballinger case, and I haven't watched any of those videos, so maybe she deserves all the props that she's getting. Certainly, I'm not a fan of Colleen Ballinger, so I guess good for her for that, but the only content of hers that I've ever watched was her coverage of Depth Be Heard. And it was really bad, like really bad. So it's just kind of hard for me to take her super seriously as an advocate for victims when the only content I've seen from her is content in which she is actively shaming a victim and calling her a liar. And I'm not saying that she's total bullshit for it. I'm just saying that I think if she wants to be an advocate for victims, she should talk about the stuff she got wrong in that case. And then there's Hassan Piker, who had that whiny-ass response to people criticizing him for the way that he was talking about that case when he was like, Oh, everyone's being so mean to me all the time. I didn't even have a tear counter in my stream. Why is everyone picking on me? 
It's like, did you ever think that maybe the reason people were talking about you specifically is that they maybe just expected more from you? Because it's just like with Swoop, where I get messages from people all the time being like, Hassan's coverage really disappointed me. I really liked him before that. And then they saw the way that he talked about Deppy Heard and they can't watch his content anymore. It's not just people that want to attack Hassan that were criticizing him. Some of them were people that actually liked him. While he was fucking defending himself, being like, I'm a news broadcaster, of course I'm gonna talk about this. A news broadcaster who consistently just made stuff up about the case. Like, he said stuff where I literally cannot figure out where he got those ideas from because he was just so wrong. He's a news broadcaster whose evidence that Amber was lying was him just thinking that she didn't look like she had a broken nose, despite the fact that her medical record said she did. Hassan recently claimed that he had a broken rib, but I didn't see his medical records. He looked fine to me. And he's a news broadcaster that, for whatever reason, only found that case to be newsworthy when it was being live streamed and when everyone was watching it and when it was just used as a piece of entertainment because he didn't follow up with the appeal brief. He didn't follow up with any of the unsealed documents. He didn't follow up with the settlement. You know what? Maybe the problem is he just can't fucking read because all of those developments came in some sort of PDF form and we already know from the way he talked about the UK trial that he can't really digest information that way. Considering he made claims about what that judge said that they just never fucking said. But Hassan's not the only person who spread misinformation about this case and then complained when other people called him out on it because a creator that I have followed for a while, Psychology in Seattle, he also made some wild fucking claims about what Amber even alleged in the US trial that just wasn't true, and then has gone on to talk multiple times about the backlash that he received from his coverage of Depth v. Heard. And like, I do empathize with that to a degree. He said that people were even making calls to get his license as a therapist revoked, and I think that's bad. I don't agree with people doing that whatsoever, and I feel bad that he had to go through that. But I do understand why so many people were upset that a couple's counselor was spreading so much misinformation about an alleged victim of domestic violence. And ultimately, as much as I don't think he deserved the level of backlash that he got, I can't say that he didn't deserve any backlash at all because he chose to do this. He chose to make 60 plus videos on his channel about this specific topic. He chose to go on a podcast that was advertising an Amber Turd promo code. So yeah, some people wanted you to lose your job, but you didn't lose your job. Amber Heard did, and she did not ask for this. And all these other creators, get to just move on in a way that she doesn't. She is still having private information about her leaked. She is still being called crazy by people who don't understand how PTSD can manifest. She had to move to another fucking country because her address in the US kept getting leaked and she kept getting hounded by people and sent hate mail and pummeled with rocks. So now there's a small group of people who is continuing to dig up information about her, either to try to defend her or to just try to humiliate her more, 
or there's a larger group of people who all participated in this spectacle last year when it was easier to call her a liar or say that she was exaggerating or say that it was all just mutual abuse, and those people want nothing to do with this conversation at all anymore. They don't want to interrogate the misinformation that they spread. They don't want to actually think about the harm that they caused this actual woman, and they get to just do that. They don't have to apologize. They don't have to admit they're wrong, because ultimately, the one person who is going to continue to suffer is still just Amber Heard. And that just sucks.